morning, good afternoon, and good evening to IOMS members around the world. This is Deborah Zabladil on behalf of IOMS, and we are here as a third part to our podcast series, Lessons Learned from COVID-19 for the OMF community. We have with us today, very gratefully, Dr. Steve Roser. Dr. Roser is the Delos Hill Chair and Professor of Surgery and the Chief of the Division of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgery at Emory University in Atlanta. Welcome, Dr. Roser. Thank you, and thank you, Deborah, uh, for the opportunity to, uh, to be with you. Well, it's great to have you here with us. Um, you have a really unique story around COVID-19. Um, probably uh, we'll hear a little bit about your Emory experience, but one of the things that I think the community would really be interested in hearing about is this resource that you and others developed, um, which was a checklist of sorts um, from you know Emory and around Emory to put out to the world and the global community. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that and how the resource came to be? Um, sure. Uh, the COVID checklist that uh, that you're referring to is is available online, and uh, I can provide you with the links for that that uh, that can then be put up on the IAOMS website. Uh, around March, uh, when the pandemic was unfolding, really, uh, a group of faculty, students, and residents found that trying to identify resources uh, for our own communities to use to help us uh, with, uh, to navigate the, the, uh, the pandemic uh, were very scattered and uh, websites and, and making suggestions, uh, for example, washing your hands one way and another website another way and uh, even including tips on how, how to quarantine, where, and, and, and the timing involved. Uh, and what, what we decided was that we would like to see a consolidated uh, uh, resource. And uh, in thinking about that, since checklists are something that we live with now daily, we, we looked at it as a, uh, as a format that uh, would be acceptable both for healthcare and for the community, and uh, put together uh, uh, a resource which has uh, both community and uh, healthcare checklists, which include things like hygiene, symptom evaluation and response, institutional guidelines for distancing, mental health, reopening. Uh, staff, space, stuff, systems, and, and, and other things. One of the, one of the challenges was uh, that because things were changing daily almost, you know, how to, how to incorporate that into this particular, uh, this particular resource. And a um, very clever way of uh, doing it, suggested by our students, were, was to put resources, uh, list resources, which, um, could uh, then allow the user to check online with that resource and update, sort of self-updating uh, the, uh, the suggestions. Uh, the backstory on this is, is interesting because uh, how did, you know, it explains how this group came together. Uh, we have a, uh, a global surgery effort here at Emory 
that's a is perioperative. It's a nursing anesthesia surgery uh, group which uh, looks at global surgery uh, opportunities. And uh, one of the uh, uh, programs that that we run is a one month uh, surgical outreach program in the Central Plateau in Haiti uh, Hospital in Pinon. And uh, it's, it's a very unique surgical outreach program because it's a uh, elective for the School of Medicine here at Emory. And uh, the medical students run it. They actually um, do all the planning for it with faculty supervision, uh, supplies, logistics, uh, and then on, on site, will actually, uh, we'll actually uh, uh, run it and participate in it. And uh, because of the, both the political unrest and COVID, uh, we were unable to go to Haiti. And this is, this is very disappointing to these, uh, to the students. And so uh, we pivoted and uh, one of the, uh, actually the group, not one, but uh, four of the students took on as the project uh, with our supervision, the COVID checklist. And so the little silver lining from the pandemic is, is, this, uh, is this resource and one which, uh, which we're, we're very proud of. So at what point did the students realize that maybe this could be expanded beyond Haiti? Was that sort of initially part of the conception or as they were producing this for Haiti, they realized it would have implications for the entire world, potentially? Well, it, in dealing with millennials, they, they never think locally. They're, they're always thinking globally. And, uh, you know, that's, that's been one of the, the um, joys of working, uh, working with them. Uh, and they, they, they were thinking world to start with, um, and particularly low-resourced low areas. But, but, you know, being realistic about it. So... Uh, they were uh, uh, very anxious to get something into the hands, particularly of the community where, you know, we get emails every day here at Emory, uh, as do other, other academic medical centers and, and uh, uh, community healthcare centers every day on from our administration as to numbers and PPE availability and so on. But in the community, um, you turn on the news or you read uh, the news uh, websites and that that information is as I said earlier is is uh, sometimes uh, contradictory within the same broadcast and so uh, I think the students looked at both uh, local community as well as uh, the global community and was the intent that this um, tool was strictly then for healthcare community organizations and healthcare providers, or it's something that could be used by a lay person, or what was the thinking on that? It started off uh, as uh, aimed at the healthcare community, communities, um, but the, we really felt the need was, was uh, to get something into the hands of uh, the lay community. And, um, it, when you have an opportunity to look at this, you'll see that there are a lot of graphics in it. There are a lot of visuals in it. There, and the, uh, 
the whole first part is aimed at the non-healthcare community. And, you know, for teachers, for uh, churches, for other, other uh, community act efforts, I think this, this can provide uh, and has provided valuable insight to uh, how to navigate. And how do you, um, how do people know about this? How have you marketed this, if you will, if that's the right term even, or promoted this? And um, how, how has it gotten into sort of the consciousness out there so people even know to go to a resource like this? Uh, great question. Uh, <clears throat> and that's, that's actually what we're doing now. Uh, the, uh, the first push on this uh, came uh, on two fronts. One, uh, out into the local community where we, we vetted it, but also uh, the G4 Alliance, which uh, the IAOMS uh, Foundation is a uh, member, uh, uh, pushed it out on their website. And uh, we got uh, good feedback from a number of the uh, permanent council or the member organizations. And uh, actually the feedback was, was both uh, um, positive and uh, by the way, you know, the standards are the standards, but in a low resourced area, some of the, some of the things that you're, you know, that, that might be available for a, a community in a, in a more developed country aren't available and so we we took it back and edited it and uh, <clears throat> right now we we uh, just received funding uh, to translate this and so we're now translating it into Spanish French Portuguese and Arabic so it uh, it will be available and the uh, uh, some of the some of the translations are being done by uh, Emory College groups. And so they, they've gotten involved in this and all this should be done by the end of September and then we will have it available in, uh, in uh, <coughs> various languages, again, including Spanish and French, Portuguese and, uh, and Arabic. That's very exciting. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what the experience has been like, what kind of feedback have you received um, from the community and from other, you mentioned some healthcare providers gave you some feedback at the beginning and um, you changed some, some protocols, et cetera, based on um, underserved areas, but what other types of feedback have you received on this? The, uh, I, overall, it's, it's been very positive. People have found it to be useful and, uh, have actually pushed it into the hands of their local, uh, either uh, community governments or uh, departments of or divisions of health within their within their counties or in their in their uh, cities. Um, the you know it, it's easily printed. It's easily easily available and easily used, and uh, the second piece of the funding that we have to translate it is to provide a, uh, to do a, a survey on those that are using it and uh, looking at uh, a more uh, sci scientific way as you'd have it of, of validating uh, the, uh, 
the uh, uh, usefulness of it. Okay, so you told us a little. You just told us a little bit about the uh, the feedback and and that you now have funding uh, to actually do a survey to to be able to tell how effective it's been in the community, how people have used it. That's um, that's very exciting, and I would imagine that will then go into maybe another iteration, right? The the feedback that you get. Yes, and I, I would I would uh, I would think that what will happen is. Uh, there'll be more emphasis on one side or the other, depending on the feedback we get. Will we? Um, I think the healthcare communities are finding their way. Um, I think right now the problem, the the the, the challenges lie in the the non-healthcare communities, and you can see that on the news. The people not wearing masks. Uh, you know, I and I don't think that these are people who are you know, very staunch about liberties. I think these are people who are just people and need, need to be reminded uh, about, uh, about the value of, uh, of some of these, uh, some of these uh, uh, precautions, but in a way that, that appeals to them rather than scare tactics by the community or enforcement. Um, Keep in mind, too, that we are um, going to, at least in North America, come into the flu season. And uh, fall is always a time for allergies. So now you've got uh, COVID, allergies, and flu all producing the same symptoms. Um, so I think, I think we're going to be looking at some new challenges, uh, as well as the need to maintain the the uh, the diligence that we've established as being beneficial. Again, the, uh, the the silver lining, a silver lining, will be that what what's in this uh, the suggestions for uh, COVID mitigation is probably are also effective for the flu, and uh, will will help people uh, meet that because the death rate from the flu is is substantial every year too. Absolutely. So um, in, in closing on this particular topic, and then I want to ask you about um, a couple of other things. If um, anyone in the OMF community that's listening to this podcast is interested in getting this resource, is it on Emory's website or do they need to contact you or how would they get a hold of it? Well, the, probably the, the fastest way is if they contact me. It's not the best way. Um, I have uh, permission from uh, Dr. Nissen, who's uh, chairman of the foundation, uh, to push this up onto the IAOMS Foundation website. And so Fabulous. hopefully that, that, will, uh, that will happen soon. And that would make it available to the entire IAOMS community. Fantastic. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what you learned from this experience or and or um, any other experiences you've had um, in your role at Emory during COVID-19 thus far? Uh, yes, um, I think, yeah, I thought about, uh, I think about that all the time and, and there, the, uh, I think, Probably the best word to describe is resilience. Um, I, the resilience of people 
and in uh, our community and and the Atlanta community, the Emory um, is is remarkable. It really is. Um, if if you know if anybody's is lost or losing faith in mankind, uh, don't because uh, you know we, getting getting get, getting through this, we have demonstrated to ourselves and to the world how resilient we really are and um that that to me is 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 uh, a very important important thing to, to, that uh, has been uh, has been emphasized another another interesting phenomenon is the socialization you know we're all social animals for lack of a better term and and uh, isolation uh quarantine but just social distancing um, at first it was kind of novel and you know and you could do it but i think what we're starting to starting to see or we're seeing now is the um you know the, the downside of that and how much we really need other people and how much other people mean to us on a personal basis and just just how we live our lives and um the uh incredible community that, that i i am fortunate to work in and as many others you know academic uh, medical community uh, in a community uh, uh and in atlanta uh has uh has provided opportunities for us to uh, take that to a, a newer level and then lastly um <laughs> the uh you know, I belong to a more senior group of uh, clinicians who have been, uh, you know, doing what we've been doing for many years. And this sort of rocked us a little bit. And uh, I'm very proud that I can, I can uh, participate in this meeting by Zoom without any technical problems. Look at me. So I think that we've learned something. Um, this has been very disruptive in the in the educational arena. Uh, how do you teach medical students to be doctors uh, online, and uh, how to do this? And uh, so I think I think that uh, there's there are many opportunities for us to uh, to redo what we've been doing and make it better. And uh, both for the next generation as well as for the next generation of, of healthcare providers. And for us to, to be able to do this though, I think we need to uh, continue to uh, look at those challenges that have occurred for, you know, forgive the imperfections and don't, you know, just don't get discouraged if something doesn't work. Look at, you know, opening up the schools is a, you know, hybrid, going to schools and how those things work. And I know that that means people getting sick or people getting sick. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not suggesting at all that we, we do human experimentation, but, you know, I think we'll, what we need is we need to react and appropriately and quickly and uh, to protect people. But I, I do think that we have uh, lots of good opportunities, uh, both in the uh, healthcare community as well as the educational community to use what we've uh, what we've learned during this uh, during this uh, crisis opportunity was that it was Einstein that said uh, 
you know, in every crisis, there's opportunity. And so I think that this is a good time to think about that. Fantastic. Any other specific words of uh, advice or wisdom that you would give the OMF community listening today, just as they think about rounding out the end of 2020 and moving into 2021? Uh, yes, thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> uh, what, what we've seen now, we've, we've been forced to look globally. I mean, really, you know, it's very difficult to um, get through the day without hearing or, or seeing things that are happening in, uh, you know, more than just the, the local communities. And so uh, a number of my colleagues have begun to look and ask and talk about what we can do about uh, uh, what's our position in, in the in globally? What's oral and maxillofacial surgery's position globally? What do I mean by that? Um, I think we all know what we do, and we you know we certainly do it well. Um, I think we are a, we're unique. IAOMS is one of the few um, global subspecialties organization, subspecialty organization. It really, think about it. We are, we are a group of international, worldwide oral and maxillofacial surgeons. And that puts us in a unique position. We already have all the communication established. We know each other. We get together every two years. Uh, we have a fantastic time. It's one of the best meetings in the world. And we, we have great leadership. Look at, look at the Look at the people that lead our organization. They're, they're you know, huge in, in our profession. And so all of the things that money can't buy are there. Now, I'm not saying that we should all, I'm not, my message isn't contribute to the foundation, but you can do that too. <laughs> but my, my message is I think it's time to, to look at what the global position for oral and maxillofacial surgery is and to take opportunities. Uh, the two areas that we can look at carefully, and I think we should we should look at our uh, strategic plan, is the area of trauma and the area of clefts. And let me explain briefly. If I um, trauma is the leading cause of death for the 20 to 40 year olds globally, and it's increasing. And maxillofacial trauma is a big part of that. The um, efforts for to meet this the global burden of surgical disease that I uh, alluded to earlier is uh, it, it focused in one area is on trauma, and I think OMS can take a very strong position in that in that arena. So one advice I would one piece of advice I would give is to look at trauma and to look at how we can better serve the world's population uh, in this area. And, you know, I, for example, uh, in the surgical outreach program we go to in Haiti, uh, the last time I was there, I was there for a week do, doing, uh, doing service uh, with uh, two of my residents. Uh, we took care of it least a dozen Haitians who had been in vehicle, vehicular trauma, who's had fractured jaws that were not healed 
they'd never been treated, they were infected. And those, those, that provided a disability for that, those individuals. It took them out of the workforce. It uh, took them uh, away from earning money for their families. Um, and those are, they're not that hard to fix. Um, and then, you know, so this is something we, we need to get involved in. The other is in the collected area arena. Um, there are no standards for cleft care. Um, there, uh, the plastic surgeons and have uh, put a set of standards out, and um, <clears throat> Smile Train has put a, uh, a set of standards out. Um, but I think we could write standards and we could support efforts in that area. Uh, the Lancet Commission 2015 uh, report, which began to address in a scientific way the global burden of surgical disease, put clefts in the first or essential surgical services categories, as well as trauma. And not as a must-do group, but as a can-do group. So that's, a, that's another arena that we, we need to look at and participate in as a, in, a, in, a, uh, in a somewhat more systematic fashion. So I'll, I'll stop there. That's my advice and my message for the, uh, for the day. Um, how to do that? Um, there, there are a lot of good minds uh, in our organization that, uh, that can address it. I know that Foundation's been very supportive. Um, and um, I think there was a lot of interest by a lot of folks in that. But organizing that is, is what the next step is, which is going to require resources. I can't, I'm not going to say you can't, you, can't un, you can't do this mandate without funding. Sure. Thank you so much. Great words of wisdom. Uh, appreciate that. And I'm sure your colleagues do around the world as well. Dr. Steve Roser from Emory University, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, really, congratulations on putting out such a great resource for the global healthcare community and, and the lay people out there. And uh, we'll be watching the progress of this and looking at the results, I hope, with you at some point in the future of the, um, of the survey. And just, um, it's, it's exciting to see that there's such good work being done out there. So thank you so much. You're welcome, and thank you for having me. Great. Have a great day, Dr. Roser. Thank you, Deborah. Thank you once again for listening to the IAOMS podcast series. IAOMS members receive additional benefits such as access to the IJOMS, educational resources, reduced rates for conferences, and more. To join or renew your membership, please visit www.iaoms.org. Keep up to date with our weekly podcast by following IAOMS on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest news. See you next week.